If it weren't for a boy named Jason Short, I wouldn't be alive today. When I was in first grade, he saved me from drowning because I couldn't save myself. The story goes like this. I've never been the best swimmer, so the swimming unit in my first grade PE class always gave me shivers. One day in class, I found myself in the pool at school, lined up with the other boys, gripping the side wall, and I was assigned to the deep end. And we were, we were told to do some bobs, hands on the wall, heads popping up and down into the water to practice our breathing. And my hands slipped away from the wall, and I started drifting. And then I started panicking and then flailing, and then gasping. And in between my gasps, my, my chlorine-soaked eyes caught a glimpse of Jason Short. He was the fastest, most athletic boy in my grade, and an excellent swimmer. And in just a quick instant, my eyes locked in with his, and I managed to cough out a single word, help. I can still remember the feeling of his hand grasping mine, pulling me back toward the wall. In one instant, there was sheer terror, and in the next, overwhelming relief. I learned a hard lesson about something that the Gospels know all too well. You cannot save yourself. Self-help does not save. By now in our readings to the Gospels, you have likely noticed that one of the most foundational truths of the Christian faith is that we cannot save ourselves. There is not a single work that we can do to earn God's salvation, and there's nothing within us that can save us from sin. That can only be found outside ourselves in the person of Jesus. Now, that may seem obvious, especially for any of us who've been Christians for a while, but this was not always a given. In the earliest days of the church, there actually was a fierce intellectual debate about how exactly a person is saved. In the first century, there was a, a wildly popular and, and pervasive belief system called Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism believed that there was a secret knowledge of spiritual things that's hidden inside each one of us. And our job was to look deep within ourselves for that light, for that deeper truth. And once we do, once we find that path within ourselves, then we can discover the means to leave this earthly body behind and be in full communion with God. Gnosticism believed that salvation could be found within ourselves. This was so popular in the early days of the church that it became the single greatest challenge to the formation of the Christian faith. And that's why John's gospel became so important. Not only is it a reboot of the other gospels, like I mentioned last week, it became a response to the growing threat of Gnosticism in the early church and a counter to other documents like the gospel of Thomas that were promoting this false teaching. From the very beginning of the gospel, you see notions that Jesus is not found within us. Jesus came down to be among us. God is not found in some secret place hidden within ourselves. God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Abundant life does not come from believing in ourselves or in our own abilities, but, but by believing in Jesus, believing in someone and something that's external to us. And that's why one of the distinguishing features of John's Gospels are the I am statements of Jesus. Seven times in this gospel, Jesus describes himself with a statement that begins with the words, I am. It's a nod to the way God's name was revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses would tell Pharaoh that God was the great I am. So basically, this was John's way of telling the world that Jesus is God. And just to prove it, Jesus not only says he is God, he demonstrates it seven times. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John 6, he, he couples it with the feeding of bread to a hungry crowd. Jesus is the bread of life, and that means we are not. We cannot feed ourselves the kind of spiritual nourishment that only God can provide. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John 8, he couples it with the healing of a blind man. Jesus is the light, and that means we are not. There is no hidden light within us that we need to discover in order to see spiritual things clearly. When Jesus says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd in John 10, he compared his disciples to the sheep who hear his voice and the Pharisees to those who would steal them away. Jesus is the gate and the good shepherd, and that means that we are not. We cannot secure for ourselves the kind of peace, security, and comfort that only God can provide us. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11, he couples it with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection, and that means we are not. We cannot resurrect ourselves from the dead. We cannot bring new life from deep within us. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, he is about to walk the way toward the cross on Golgotha. Jesus is the way, and that means you are not. As much as we feel compelled to find our way in life and in our profession and in our future, the only way to find true life is in Jesus, not within us. And then we get to today's scripture reading. It's not just the last of the I am statements. It is the only one that has a part B to it. Jesus not only describes himself, but he describes you as well. I am the vine, and you are the branches. So just for this one instance, Jesus does open a window into ourselves, and he invites us to see something within us that we may have never noticed before. Jesus may be the vine, but you are the branches, he says. He uses a vineyard metaphor, something that people back in those days would have known in a land full of figs and grapes and olives. You need the central vine, obviously, to be the central conduit for nutrition and water and strength. But a vine without branches would be like having branches without a vine. They need each other because it is the branch's job to bear the fruit to produce the figs and the grapes and the olives that will not only nourish others, but will create beauty and, and propagate the species. Just for a moment, and only in this seventh and final I am statement, John does tell you to look deep inside yourself and notice something within you. You have the ability 
to bear fruit for Jesus. You are designed to offer goodness and beauty and love for the world. It is what you are wired to do. But you can't do it without Jesus, and we can't do it without each other. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can offer the world the kind of hope and joy and love that is so desperately needed right now. And Jesus has given you everything you need to offer the kind of love that this world needs. And that is your job, and that is mine. And you know what? Sometimes the best way to bear this kind of fruit, to show this kind of love, is to do a little pruning. That's the other thing that Jesus tells us about vines and branches. Sometimes they need to be pruned in order for them to produce more fruit. The more the vine grower removes the dead and the diseased and the lifeless parts of the vine, then the healthier it becomes. The more it grows and matures and produces more fruit for the vine grower. If your purpose is to bear the fruit of love, then God wants to remove those parts of you that are keeping it from happening. What needs to be pruned from your life right now? Those harsh and bitter feelings that you you have towards someone else, God wants to prune it back. Those, Those feelings of loss or grief or loneliness and despair, God wants to prune them away. Those abrasive flares of anger or losses of self-control or ill temper, God wants to prune them away. Those feelings of inadequacy or low self-esteem or the jealousy you might feel for others who seem to have it better than you, God wants to prune them away. Or, Or the conviction that the world is just too unjust and too broken for you to possibly make a difference, God wants to prune that away so that you can speak for justice and and work toward compassion and equality. Or maybe it's the the debilitating perfectionism that resides within you that prevents you from feeling the grace of God or forgiving yourself. God wants to prune those away. That sense that you are worthless or purposeless or have no value to others or to the world God wants to prune those away. The lingering pain that you feel from your past or the the stress you feel in the present or the, the fear or anxiety that you feel about the future, God wants to prune those away so that in the end, you are able to bear the fruit of love, better able to demonstrate love for God and love for one another. You know, Jesus said these things, by the way, as part of the very last conversation he would have with his friends. It was in that upper room, moments before he would leave them, where he would be betrayed and arrested and crucified. So as we leave the Gospels and move on to Acts and the Epistles for the remainder of our Bible journey, these are the parts from Jesus that would speak to each of us. Remember, You cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can. But in Jesus, you can find yourself and you can bear fruit for others and show them love. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder that we cannot save ourselves and for giving to us the one who can. Thank you for Jesus 
who is the bread of life and the light of the world and our good shepherd. And thank you for connecting us with him and with each other, just as a vine is to the branches. We ask that you would prune away from us anything that would prevent us from bearing the fruit of your love for the world to see. Teach us to follow Jesus by loving God and loving all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.